everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. Uh, today I'm joined by Daniel Gilman, who is a former apologist at RZIM. Um, he's been talking about uh, just some reflections from what we learned from the Ravi scandal and everything that's gone on that I'm sure you're aware of by this point. Um, but Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Zach? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm very grateful to have you. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this conversation talking about um, really hard and deep questions and kind of like looking at the Ravi scandal. Um, and for someone like you that was on the inside, it's going to be really helpful to have your insight here. So to start off, in case people aren't familiar with like who you are, could you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my, well, my name is Daniel and I, I only was briefly part of RZM, uh, but it was a, an experience of a lifetime. And it was such a, uh, such a meaningful thing when I got the call from Abdi Murray to come join the team. Previously, I'd been working as a pastor for young adults in Ottawa, Canada, and I was also working, that was more part-time, and I also was working more full-time at our Capitol building, Parliament Hill, where I was getting to wear a number of hats, working on human rights issues and pro-life stuff. And uh, then in July 2019, I joined RZM as a full-time apologist. Mm -hmm. So you're Canadian, of course, not working in like the U.S. Congress um, and such, but like, what's your story with like, how do you got connected with um RZIM and Ravi Zacharias and the whole ministry. Sure, yeah. Well, I was born into a really wholesome Christian family, and I loved Jesus from before I can remember. And then in my mid-high school years, I started having these intellectual doubts about my faith. I loved God, but I was wondering, is the God I loved even real? And when I went to my dad and asked him for how to numb those kinds of questions, instead of giving me an intellectual pill to numb my brain, in my mind, he encouraged me to lean into those questions. It showed me how Jesus welcomes our doubts and our questions, which is not what I wanted. I, I, it was uncomfortable questioning and, and cross-examining my faith. Uh, as I did, I found guys like Ravi and, and so many others on his team who helped me find uh, an intellectual foundation for my faith. I got to the place where I thought, you know, it's going to take more faith not to be a Christian, not to believe in Jesus than it would be to believe in him. And so... Um, yeah, Ravi just meant the world to me through that. And then years later, I was working as a pastor at a church and we were doing a midweek church service in the center of the University of Ottawa. About 40% of the people attending were non-Christians. And so after the sermon, I would have a time of Q&A where I have lots of non-Christians texting in their, their toughest questions on mm -hmm. what I preached about or any random topic. And when Abdu Murray and, and some of the folks at RZAM, or we say RZAM in Canada, RZIM, yeah. uh, when they, yeah, they heard about what was going on, uh, they invited me to an intensive evaluative uh, two-year process to see if I'd be a good fit for RZAM. And that culminated with me joining the team July 2019. And I was part of the team until January uh, 2021. Yeah, that's great. Um, and kind of sharing your story here. So I think it'd be helpful um, at this point. Um, I love how you say RZAM, like it's like French almost. Um, but just kind of like to share like, um, kind of like your journey along with like how this Ravi scandal has progressed. I'm sure um, maybe you want to add a little bit more, but I'm sure if you're listening, like everyone knows that Ravi was caught in serious um, abuse and probably like rape and all these just terrible things. Um, and it, it came out after his death um, with these reports that kind of like finalized, which had been like rumors in the past. And um, so what's kind of like your story um, as the Ravi story has kind of progressed until today, because you've been very outspoken um, with like accountability and things, especially recently. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I haven't always been for sure. Um, yeah. So I also want to mention, I think there's going to be a bunch of time for Q and a. So if anyone mm -hmm. is watching and wants to submit any questions, please just ask your questions in the comments. Uh, no question is off limits. 
as we mm -hmm. like later as that I am back in the day. Uh, yeah, so I, I first came across the, the like sexting scandal stuff in 2017 with the rest of the world. I was not part of our ZIM at the time. And I, yeah, I saw it on Christianity Today. And I remember I'd been saying to my brother, Josh, not long before that, like so many of the, so many men that we've respected within Christendom uh, either had passed away or were found to be frauds. And I think, I think if I remember correctly, I think we'd actually mentioned Ravi as like one of like the few elderly statesmen wholesome mm. that we had. And so yeah. all of a sudden I see his name uh, shockingly in this headline about sexting. And I was just like, no, please say this isn't true. And so I went mm. and I read and I, I, I Googled some stuff. I came across his narrative and I thought, oh good. Like there's, it's, it's okay. Like he, I, when I saw the sexting scandal, I thought, Oh, like maybe he had sent inappropriate photos. Okay, someone, I, I thought like, oh, someone sent unsolicited photos to him. Like you can't fall for mm. that. And I just believed his narrative and uh, was was so happy to find that there was a, a good explanation for why uh, Ravi was a wholesome person. And so I just, yeah, went on from there. And I joined the team two years later. And yeah, like I, I don't even, someone was asking for some examples of of what kind of things were said about Laurie Thompson or Steve Boffman mm. or whoever. and. Another colleague and I were, were saying we have trouble. Do you want to clarify who Lorianne Tom yeah, Thompson so is? Yeah, Thompson in case people don't know. Yeah, so of the tons and tons of women that Ravi uh, sexually uh, assaulted and abused, uh, Lorianne Thompson was uh, the um, was one of the first people to speak publicly, which she did so while he was still alive, and um, he ended up. Yeah, so so he had a, a RICO lawsuit filed against her, uh, and just really went after her with every legal device he had to, to crush her, as well as his PR team to completely discredit her uh, and drag her name through the mud. And uh, she continued to hold to the truth and hold to what really happened. And it was because of her story being online in all the vulnerability and pain that that was to have it online, that other victims of Ravi's after his death, actually the day of his funeral, had typed in like Ravi abuse, whatever they typed in, they found her story, realized they weren't alone. And that's how the story ended up coming to light afresh in 2020. So yeah, Steve Boffman is uh, also known as the Banjo Atheist. That's what uh, I think his YouTube channel is called. And he is an atheist who has been going after uh, exposing some of the fraudulent lies of Ravi over the years, starting with uh, Ravi's uh, own inflation of his credentials and uh, other such issues. And so he's been a big champion for Lorian Thompson and the spa women as well. So that's all to say that ours at RZIM, like Lorian Thompson, Steve Boffman, like these are just people who uh, we thought so ill of. We believe that they were people who were profoundly self-promoting, um, corrupt, no interest in truth. Uh, Christianity Today is something that I had really appreciated in the past, but over time, uh, uh, with a little bit of time I was at RZIM, uh, began to think of just really terribly. Like after Ravi died, they did an obituary and almost all the obituaries were just fawning over him. And theirs was to highlight some of the the claims against him, the allegations. And I just thought like, the man's died. Like, how can you be so callous? Mm -hmm. So I really genuinely felt that way until Daniel Solomon, Christian Today published a piece by Daniel Silliman on September 29th, 2020. Mm -hmm. And as I read through that piece, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my wife and I, I said to her, Alexandra, I, this might be true. And two days later, I was chatting with Carson uh, Whitenauer of RZIM. 
And uh, he said, Daniel, look through the evidence. There's more than enough evidence to see that this is all true. And from October 1st onward, I began operating under the conviction that uh, Ravi was indeed guilty. Lorianne Thompson was um, not uh, an extortionist who was trying to destroy him, but rather uh, a, a victim of his, and that she is a courageous and um, heroic woman for advocating for the truth. That Steve Boffman, although he and I disagree on questions of religion uh, and faith, that he was honestly uh, someone I have a debt of gratitude for bringing to light the truth about about Ravi and so many other things. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I appreciate you sharing your story here. And I would encourage everyone, um, if you ha are thinking about this in this Ravi report, and it's like, oh, it's just these claims, and there's no evidence, and you maybe think like he's in or something, please just read this report. Um, you can find it on like the RZIM website and such. There's just like I was reading, I just, I remember when I read it, it was just like I was sitting, getting there with my friends and I saw something on Instagram, like, oh, this report right out. And I just read it and I was like, this is crazy. Um, really messed up stuff. And if we can believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of the eyewitnesses who wrote it in the gospels, I think we can trust um, the many more witnesses that kind of shared their story so courageously um, with regards to this scandal. So we're going to talk about, um, yeah, feel free to add. There's a little more we should probably unpack while we're still on the story mm -hmm. part. If that's, I think, um, that that's relevant, I think. Um, so I, I wanted to write to Lorianne Thompson and, and apologize and own my, my part in uh, the pain that's been caused. Uh, I was aware that like, I, I got to write a tribute in the Gospel Coalition Canada. I got to do a, I did a TV interview just after he passed away in, May 2020 uh, with a Canadian Christian TV station, um, Hunter Huntley Street. And in both of those, like, I, I just gave such honor and tribute to Ravi. And I spoke about his fierce commitment to godliness and wholesomeness. And uh, I'm aware of that. I was aware in, in fall of 2020, how much those and other tributes like hurt victims mm -hmm. of Ravi's who'd seen them. And so I wanted to apologize to Lorianne Thompson, own my own role in perpetuating the lies about who Ravi was. And, uh, but I felt like if I publicly gave him tribute, I should probably also like publicly retract that. And so it was important to me that she actually hear this from me as a, when, as I was still an RZM apologist, I think a ex staff, it, it can sully the, the, the weight of an apology. If you're like an ex employee, like, Oh yeah, bun those guys. But I, as a, I wanted to apologize to her when I was still part of it, but, if I publicly praised them, I felt like before I could privately say, hey, I'm sorry, by the way, I should also publicly own my mistake. So um, so Sam Mulberry, Max Baker-Heitch, Carson, myself, we'd all tweeted stuff. Um, try not to blast RZAM as much as be like victim-centered and, and honoring the women, Lorian Thompson, as a, in our public retractment of our words. And um, so I, I, I spoke publicly retracting my tribute. I, I then wrote to Lorian Thompson, and one of the things, and she was so quick to, to be um, just so gracious to, to be forgiving and welcoming me to, to, to truth. But one of the things that she asked me, she said, Daniel, I'm aware that your work in politics before joining RZAM was specifically on issues of human trafficking and sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And if this is something that you were informed on and actually was informing others on and advocating for and passionate about, then it specifically hurts she said, when you, Daniel, me, is ignoring her narrative. She said, like, 
how did you not hear me? How did you believe him? How did you ignore the evidence? And yeah, she really challenged me to ask tough, tough questions. And mm -hmm. as, as part of my, as part of my own trying to understand where I went wrong and how I did not listen to her, how I was not, yeah, just how I ignored her and went right into joining RZIM and writing tributes about his godliness and all that. Uh, I, I picked up some really helpful books that I'd commend to anybody that have at least been very helpful to me. Uh, one of those is We Too by Mary DeMuth. It looks at the reality of the sexual abuse crisis within churches, within evangelical churches like my own. Another one is Rachel Den Hollander's incredible What is a Girl Worth? It was partly that I was reading that when the when the allegations came to light that helped me be able when they came to light afresh in September 29, 2020, that helped me be able to believe the allegations finally. Another an amazing book came out October 2020 uh, by Scott McKnight and his daughter Laura Beringer, which is called A Church Called Tove. Tove is the Hebrew word goodness. And then another incredible book is by Wade Mullen, Dr. Wade Mullen, called Um Something's Not Right, Decoding the Hidden Tactics of Abuse and Freeing Yourself from It. Something like that. Those books have been outrageously helpful in like baptizing my mind, educating me and helping me be able to begin to be part of the solution. Whereas before I was perpetuating the problem. Yeah, that's so great because I was thinking about this, like even like when you mentioned Steve Bach Bachman's name, I know that um, you kind of found out about me through um, the apologetics March Madness thing that happened yeah. last year um, and is happening now. Um, and I remember in, in, it was towards the end, there was this guy that was tweeting that was like Robbie scam. Um, it was talking about um, just how like Robbie's this terrible person and like all these things. And I was like, this guy just has it out for Robbie. So I was like, I just blocked him. And I was like, I was just done with it. Cause I just assumed that like these things were false. Um, so what do we do about like things like that? Like we brought so much attention to him, not through just like the apologetics, March Madison, but he was like so praised by so many people like, when his death came and, Two million people tuned into his funeral. I think the day of or something, or within the first weekend. Like that's mm -hmm. those are outrageous numbers. I, I yeah, Zach, you're right. I met you through uh, last year's Mar uh, apologetics march madness. Yeah. On our team, posted the link to vote on on your Twitter, and they said, mm -hmm. "Hey guys, like Ravi is is in the you know the final weeks of his life. Like let's make sure our guy wins." And so yeah. all of us apologists were like saying it to our, our siblings, our parents, like vote for Ravi, and he won. And we were so like people were like, "Yes, like this is a fitting." Mm -hmm. Fitting ends a race well run. Yeah. That's how I met met you. And then I was so honored when you had, I think you said you committed to the first week after Ravi's death that every tweet you did would have the hashtag, thank you, Ravi. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was just like, so like, I don't know who Zach is, but I trust him. He's a good dude. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, then months later, I got to FaceTime with uh, Steve, uh, Max Baker Heitch, RZM apologist and prof at Oxford. Um, let us uh, yeah, introduced us so we were facetiming and i got to say to him hey steve like because he apologized He's like i know i'm really harsh online but i actually believe in you young guys and like and and mm -hmm. i said hey like c.s lewis said something to the effect of a friend is someone who sings the song of your heart when you've forgotten it i was like steve i never thought i'd say this because i thought you were enemy number one like mm -hmm. number one but like you've been a friend to us christian yeah. called us to truth to integrity when we were ignoring this stuff so you're a real friend and then at one point, I, uh, I thought, uh, I wonder who I've blocked on Twitter. Like, I haven't blocked anyone in forever. Uh, mm -hmm. I haven't blocked anybody. And I went to my, I found where it says you, who you blocked. And, like, Steve was one of the only people I'd ever blocked yeah. besides some, like, really, like, pornographic, whatever, Twitter thing coming mm -hmm. off the I blocked, you know? But it was, like, that and, and Steve. And I was, like, oh, man. 
So yeah, I had to unblock Steve and send him a note just saying, hey man, thanks for being a real friend. Um, mm. another, another example is like Julie Royce is someone, the Royce Report uh, at RZAM. I didn't know of her until I joined the team and pretty quickly I saw, oh, this is someone who's so committed to defaming the gospel because she was someone who was like advocating for Lorianne Thompson, Shirley Stewart, another survivor of rabies who came forward while he was still alive. And uh, yeah, I, I, over time, I began to see that Julie is someone who, contrary to what I thought, loves Jesus, uh, mm -hmm. loves the gospel, and is ferociously committed to exposing uh, the frauds within within the church. And so um, just today, actually, um, I, te I texted her saying, like, hey, like, thank you for your latest article. Really hard to read. I feel like so many people that I've treasured, uh, you're exposing them as actual frauds and it hurts, but it's it's healthy. I mentioned how it gets tough on my faith. It's tough on my relationship to God right now. Like it, it really is, 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 is shattering parts of, of me. And, and so it was just such a, a privilege, man, that like here I have Julie Royce, who I have bad mode myself to colleagues at RZAM ministering to me. And just, mm -hmm. she was texting me, I wonder, here, I'll grab my phone. I just wanna read to you what she was saying, because I just, I never, a year ago, I could never have imagined any, yeah, just mm -hmm. Steve or her ministering to my soul. But um, yeah, just I'm like, hey, I'm feeling shattered in my faith. And she wrote back and said, um, Romans 3, 3 to 4. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not mm -hmm. at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. And she, yeah, just texted like, a prayer and, and, and more about like, hey, uh, the Bible is very honest that there will be wolves. And uh, like none of this is a surprise to God. This this all actually affirms what you what you see in Scripture, um, Daniel. Like you can keep trusting Jesus. Um, yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, you talked about this a little bit here, but like, how do we help people whose faith it could be shattered by the Ravi scandal? Like there's there's just so many people have heard his sermons or read his books or things like this. Um, how do you recommend like going forward for people who really their faith took a big beating to see one of their spiritual heroes um, be find out actually just to be this terrible person? Um, yeah. So what do you thoughts there? Yeah. Well, first I want to be clear. I don't want to be. I don't want to be a fraud myself. Um, mm -hmm. And there's probably parts of me that are fraudulent. And I welcome Steve Boffman or anybody else uh, to to yeah, or, as well as my wife uh, to my best friends to help me find where I'm a fraud. Uh, but in my effort not to be a fraud, I want to be clear that when we talk about how to help others, it's, I'm, I'm one of the others. Like I, I have found it profoundly painful and shattering. Uh, for me, the, the part that rattles me in my own walk with God and faith in him is I was so convinced of Ravi's narrative. And I mm. so saw Lorianne Tomlin, Steve Boff, and Julie Royce as people who were enemies of what was good and wholesome. Mm -hmm. that that experience of finding out that reality is the uh, is inside out mm -hmm. it, like i've been feeling i've been wondering like why do i feel why am i feeling shattered in my faith like ravi was just one of many apologists that meant a lot to me i, I hadn't hung all my hope in him i'm realizing that it's not so much that i feel betrayed by ravi but i feel i feel so distrustful of my own capacity to discern, mm. to believe, to trust. Like I have so much confidence in, in, in Jesus, but I've found that my own 
yeah, my own discernment is is so frail and easily deceived, and that I easily believe what I want to believe. And so, having grown up like loving Jesus, it brings me back to some of those those doubts from years ago. That's mm-hmm. like, okay, I love God, but am I just are all my reasons for believing in Him stemming from the fact that I so badly want this to be true, or am I being really compelled by evidence? It's it's tough. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was chatting with Carson. Uh, he's also ex-staff from ours that I am recently and just saying, Carson, like, I feel like I'm bleeding in my faith. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he reminded me of is like Christianity isn't simply a set of, of doctrines to be believed. It really is about having a personal relationship with God and where like trust is injured, even if it's not so much my trust in him, but my own capacity to trust is broken Again, trust takes meaningful trust takes time to repair. And so I'm I'm trying to be patient with myself and my own healing. And I encourage others to be patient as well. One of my prayers is just like, God, like I need you. Mm. I need you to hold my faith. I need you to repair my trust. Uh, I don't have the strength, none of us have the strength to hold on to God ourselves. So that's one. The second thing for me has been like, I've just been treasuring the letter of Philippians in the New Testament, specifically chapter two, where it talks about the humility of Jesus. And I just read those words through and just feeling so refreshed that, that Jesus is not like Ravi. Like Jesus never inflated his credentials. He emptied himself of all his privilege. He emptied himself of all his fame. He didn't have to become an unattractive dude in a remote part of the earth, but he did. And, and the, the way that Amy R. Ewing wrote a remarkable piece that I encourage everyone to see. I think it was posted by Christianity Today. today. And she talks about Jesus and women and, and the way that women were so safe with him. And so just being able to, to relish, to savor all the ways that Jesus is not like Ravi. Yeah. That has been really helpful for me. Mm. Oh, one more thing. Uh, this, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that's been tough, one of the models at RZAM, some call it an unofficial model, is pretty much official. It was our model for our uh, teen series reboot. It was no question off limits. And uh, at RZAM, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't real. And I, I have precious colleagues on, uh, who, who might, might come across this interview. It's tough to say out loud, but it wasn't real. Like, we were welcome to ask a lot of questions, but we were not, we were not able to ask, like, when I asked, I asked some questions of leadership on global staff calls that were, the only purpose was Q&A about the allegations. And I, mm-hmm. people asked questions, a bunch of different questions. I was among those who asked questions that were taking the women's testimony seriously. And I got a call afterward from one of the top bosses saying, Daniel, you need to make a decision. If you want to be a pot stirrer, you, uh, you're going to, you, you, like, you don't want people to, um, to say Daniel got let go. Like if, if you want to be a pot stirrer, you should quit because people respect you for quitting on conviction. But if you want to ask these kind of questions, um, you should leave. Uh, or you'll find yourself, he repeated himself, but like, or you'll find yourself um, having to say, got let go. So like threatening that I'd be let go for asking questions confidentially on a, you know, 
that's all to say mm-hmm. RZM did not take kindly to us asking questions about our big man. And Jesus isn't like that. Like when, when Thomas, a precious friend, when, when friends doubt us, it's really painful. When, when family question us it can be really painful. I get defensive very easily. I'm working on it. And when, when Jesus' family, cousin, John the Baptist, when Jesus' friend, Thomas, when they question and doubt him, Jesus invites them into to even closer to look at the evidence more intimately to even place their hands in his scars. Like Jesus is not like Ravi. Jesus is not like RZAM. Truly no question is off limits with Jesus. And so mm-hmm. that stuff that's ministered to my soul, I, I wonder if it might be helpful to others as well. Mm-hmm. And it's great. And I thank you for sharing that. I was talking with um, Keith, Keith Ward, a British philosopher about um, like the incarnation. He just talks about how, like how beautiful the incarnation is where we literally um are following God in the flesh. Um, and it's just a beautiful thing. And he thinks that if there's aliens, they all have their own incarnations to kind of follow God as well. Um, so that's yeah. an interesting rabbit hole for another day. Um, but one of the most common questions um, is what do we do with his books now? Yeah. Um, I remember I was listening to Mike Winger's kind of reaction and I, and I was just listening to it, but it looked like he like picked up his books and threw them away just right as he was streaming his reaction to the event. Yeah. Um, so what do you think we do with like Robbie's books? Cause he published a lot. And there's yeah, a lot there. <laughs> yeah. We hear people saying things like some of my sweet friends are like, oh, yeah, I, I, I kind of always thought Ravi wasn't that good anyway. Mm-hmm. Sure, maybe for that. I love Ravi's books. I, I loved mm-hmm. like I was for, for a couple of years. I was looking for a good book to give my father-in-law a new age spirituality because my father-in-law is immersed yeah. in it and not a Christian at all. And the the best book I found finally, I, I thought, why didn't I pick up Ravi's book before? Why Jesus? An extraordinary book. Has Christianity failed you? Incredible sense and sense, sense and sense, sense and sensuality. Uh, such a beautiful book about lust and sin, and and so yeah, the, the, I found them profoundly helpful. Um, I was I was trying to read an, an enormous amount last year, partly because I felt like I had to catch up to my colleagues who were brilliant in RZM, and yeah. so I, I was I was just just burning my way through books, and I decided like. I want to write someday. I want to write like Ravi. And so I started reading like a book of Ravi's a week among other books I was reading too. But like, I literally, like, if you look at my book list from last year, it's just like Ravi, 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 Ravi until like September 29th. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with his books? The, the, the books themselves have so much goodness. I honestly, th- I, I have removed them from my bookshelves. Uh, you're not going to see any of them here um, because as much as I think they can be helpful, I want, I want survivors of sexual abuse, whether it's ra- like survivors who were harmed by Ravi or anybody to come into any church, walk past any church library, go into any Christian bookstore or come into my home and not have to wonder, are they going to see a sexual predator's name emblazoned on these books? Mm, yeah. As much as I get, it's a loss on the one hand to have to throw away these books with a lot of helpful stuff. Like, more important is for people who've been crushed through sexual abuse to be able to come into a bookstore and find a book for Nancy Guthrie's incredible book on suffering or whatever, uh, Wade Mullins uh, book on abuse. Like I want them to be able to come in and not have to think. Uh, so as we think through people say like, Oh, is that cancel culture and all this kind of stuff? Um, Rachel Den Hollander said to Sam Albury and I, and we reached out to her for advice when this was first unfolding. We said, give like we educate us on how do we can be helpful to victims. And she said, guys, this was really important. She said, guys, almost everyone thinks that the most traumatic and soul-crushing, life-changing, 
aspect of abuse is the um, the moment that abuse occurs. She said that's not true for most survivors. She said for most survivors of abuse, it's when they disclose to somebody and how they were responded to that can be the most crucial moment as to if they're going to be able to find healing and wholeness mm -hmm. and overcome and restoration or if this will just crush them in, in a way that is so hard to recover from. And she said that this RZAM represents Christian worldview to the world and to Christians around the world. And the way that we are responding to his situation, to, to these women's situation, is telling the world, telling survivors of abuse, how do Christians respond to disclosure? And therefore, I want to be very careful that we're circling the wagons around survivors and not around our faith speakers or authors. And so for that reason, uh, my wife and I thought fit to remove all of his books from our shelves and to um, throw them. I, I think I think I didn't even put them in the recycling, to be honest. I think we threw them in our, our apartment garbage chute. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a really tricky situation. Um, but I do think I, I agree with you completely that there, there's just so many other great Christian authors out there that there's just no need to keep um, a sexual predator's books on our shelves um, mm -hmm. when there's just so many godly people out there. Um, which is a little bit into my next question here that I have for you is how can we not allow the next Ravi to develop? Because um, like when you read the report, it's kind of just kind of crazy to think about everything that kind of happened where, um, you know, like his, like his phone and his computer on a different internet server than like everyone else at RZIM and him just having this like control of ministry funds that was unchecked and anything like that. Right. Um, like what can we do to prevent another Ravi um, yeah. from coming about and these, just these terrible things? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, my colleague Alonzo, he's also my best friend other than my wife. Uh, he and I like have each other's thumbs and each other's phones until we got like a phone with a face and like we have a password <laughs> and face each other's phones yeah. because we want, we do a lot of, we've done a, a lot of travel and just life together. And we want to be able to just pick up, we want the other guy to be able to pick up our phone and just look through like anything. Like I want mm -hmm. him to be able to, the, the, it's the same password, like the face and the thumb is the same password to my, uh, to my banking. I, I like, I want the man to know my financials. I want him to know my spending. I want him to know. Um, anyone I've texted, I want them to know, to see my browsing history. I want them to know every part of me because one, I, I want, I want to be caught on uh, like on the earliest side possible of, of toxic decisions, sinful behaviors. I, I want to be caught when it's like as, 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 as light as possible. So that it doesn't snowball. And I find that a lot of people, myself included, make the worst decisions when we're lonely. And so I'm trying to cultivate not only like accountability and transparency in my life, uh, practicing confession with a specific person who can, like Alonzo, so he can like know the depth of, of, of my shadows and brokenness. So on the one hand, it's, it's kind of a, the serious, almost sad side of like talking about the heavy stuff. But then also I'm trying to cultivate vibrant friendships. And if you read in, in some of the reporting on Ravi, you can find quotes where he talks about his excruciating loneliness. None of that, none of that mitigates what he's done. But that mm -hmm. I am watching to see, okay, what can I do differently to make sure that my own little small sphere that I am not mirroring his behavior at all. And so, yeah, by calling like just precious friendships, making sure that we have friends, not fans. 
I hear pastors all the time, all the time, say, like, pastoral ministry is so lonely. Mm. Well, that shows me that we have lost the value of friendship. We don't understand what church was designed to be, a community. They're like, if any pastor is part of a community, like they're pastoring a church, mm. and if they're lonely when they're, like, part of this community, then it means that we have approached church, approached community, friendship in a way where they are above it, where they are removed from it, where the, it's, and so we need to make sure that like, that pastors are, are like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We all, yeah, yeah. every one of us needs friends, not fans, mm-hmm. a huge book on this. I know you can't solve the world's problems with books, but if you could, a really good book uh, is called Lead by Paul David Tripp. It was a, one of the huge, like, it just helps for me, this pastor processing. How can I cultivate my life differently? Um, another really, really good book on the topic, not by a Christian, is this one right here uh, by the CEO, former CEO of Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, it's called The Challenge Culture. And it's about how to cultivate friendships and um, working re- like work relationships where we're inviting people to, to challenge us, to know us. To, it's, yeah, I, got, I found it for $2 at a, on the side of the street, but... You can also get it on Amazon. It's really yeah, that's great. Zach, what are your thoughts? I know that like this is all must have made a huge impact on you as you were like such a so immersed mm-hmm. in the apologetics world. Uh, what are your thoughts on how we can avoid uh, becoming or letting another Ravi become? Yeah, this is something I, I've been thinking about because I was just thinking about as you were talking. Like, I don't think that Ravi. Um, when he was preaching the gospel in Vietnam in the 1960s or 70s, I don't think he had this idea, this master plan where he'd become this like sexual predator and he'd get away and he'd think he'd get away with it and everyone would know about it. And I think at least from my perspective, a lot of it comes back to what you were talking about in terms of like accountability and holiness. Cause it seems like just reading the Ravi report, it seems like he just kind of went unchecked. There was no one um, who could go through Ravi's phone or see what was going on here and kind of check this power and say, Hey, what's going on here? He kind of just um, was like, just in charge, which is like, sometimes it seems like almost in like, maybe like your churches or our ministries, like I'm not involved in pastoral ministry at all, but it almost seems like we're running it like a government, not like a church. Like, like in America, we have like the president who's the head. Um, he's kind of on his own in the, in the sense there. Um, whereas like in different governments, it may be different, but for here, that's kind of how it works. And we've almost modeled our churches off those governments. Um, so I think it's just, finding that room for personal accountability um, and no one should be able to have like you were talking about how like Alonzo can check your phone. Everyone should have someone who can go through every, someone's phone and see everything that's going on. Um, so I think just kind of reiterating that point. Yeah. Is, and another, another, interesting. Um, my, my wife was, was attending a, a training that uh, her work was doing on recently on um, becoming more victim centered as a, as a company. And mm-hmm. she asked like, what is happening here? Um, for like, um, yeah, for, for a Christian ministry. And she's like, so, so what are we doing to be trauma informed? And th- they talked about like services that are being provided to survivors of abuse. And her mm-hmm. follow, my wife's follow up question was, no, no, like not how are we making sure that victims are informed about trauma? Uh, if anything, they actually have a lot to teach us about trauma. How are we making mm-hmm. sure that people who are um, just like our regular people in the pews are, trauma yeah. and and know how to handle when someone discloses to them how do, how do we make sure that our communities and our companies are more um yeah safer places for women and girls and all who are harmed by sexual abuse and i i don't know that there was a uh a, a, real, a real clear answer on that 
Uh, but mm -hmm. that that's that's what she, both she and I are, are hoping to do next post RZAM is mm -hmm. like we need to like every one of us should be trauma informed. Every one of us should be like the, the number of girls who are sexually abused in the states is one of every three before they're eighteen. So if you mm -hmm. find abuse that happens in university and beyond, the, the or college and beyond, it's, it's the numbers are higher. In Canada, we call it college university. It's trippy. Uh, so um, yeah, so like every one of us has sisters, moms, friends um as well as other guys in our life who are being sexually abused or have been sexually abused every one of us needs to go and find out um how are we able to be advocates for them so how do we because this is an important point i think um and it's like how do we listen well because it seems like just with like um a lot of these allegations of like sexual um abuse or assault or things like this um it's almost like people just don't know what to do like i'm thinking about um well, he may not be a Christian like Deshaun Watson, the NFL football player right now. He has he's gone from zero to like 15, 16 sexual assault slash harassment lawsuits against him in the past, like just week or so. Um, and just like reading comments from people are saying just in like uh, my generation on social media, everyone's like, well, these people are just looking for fame. These, these women accusing they're just looking for fame or money or things like that. Um, and a lot of times when we hear these accusations against these big figures, that's just kind of like, at least for me, it's like almost the default is to just like be very skeptical of these things like i think it's a very cultural thing um because not many people would really believe that uh, one third of women by the time of 18 have had faced some sort of like sexual harassment or assault so like how do we be the advocate um that you're talking about here um with situations like ravi yeah so uh, that, that's a really real question we hear from a lot mm -hmm. of people um one is we need to be informed like we we hear that type of thing. i i hear that quite a bit from my friends as i even was saying guys like if you look at the evidence uh before the report came out like look at the evidence uh, there's enough mm -hmm. evidence online you can see that ravi has um been that uh, he's a predator and people are like oh no like the people are just you know it's it's a way to have 15 mm -hmm. fame uh diane langberg dr diane langberg is like a matriarch in the world of counseling and psychiatry and such uh, she's written the book Redeeming Power, as well as Suffering in the Heart of God. In in incredible books. And she, um, yeah, she, I, I saw a, a quote from her recently that talked that she has the stats that like only three to nine percent, I believe off the top of my head, I think it was like three to nine percent, three to nine percent of disclosures or whatever the number was. I should be I mean, careful not to give a false number. It was a, it was a yeah. small percentage. Um, and, and part of the reason why that she unpacks is it's a horrifically miserable thing to disclose sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. It is so vulnerable. It's so painful. Um, so much of the time when it isn't believed, there's a lot of easy, like if someone is looking for fame, uh, like they'll go make t a TikTok. Like they're not going to go and like, it, it almost never happens. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, just uh, being informed, being a little bit educated on this stuff is profoundly helpful uh, there's there's a there's a lot of good resources so like again when i was i'll go down on 11 say i don't believe the reason that rzm offices around the world are, are shutting down canada has officially announced that it's closing down and rzm atlanta is uh massively reducing in size i don't believe any of that's happening because ravi was a predator mm -hmm. because there are other ministries who have been in a similar situation. Larsh Canada was a huge, huge ministry that ministering to people with uh, severe disabilities. Um, and they went through a similar situation where their beloved, beloved, legendary founder 
uh, was found to be a sexual predator just a year before the RZM situation. And as far as I know, like they're thriving. Donations are up. Their 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 impact is bigger than ever. Like they're huge because their leadership took a victim-centered approach from the beginning. I believe mm-hmm. the reason so much of RZM is evaporating is because not Ravi, but the leaders who had taken over from Ravi were making decisions that were so much more about PR than they were about victims and truth and transparency. There wasn't a call for victims until after the report was finished. There was a number of staff who were calling for a call for victims since September 29th. Um, a lot of stuff like that. That's yeah. all. Challenging one of my beloved leaders at RZM who I've had so much trust in, I've learned so much from, and has was mishandling this stuff so hard. And I was just saying like, hey, like these decisions you're making are toxic. And he, and he was like, well, like, hey, like I, there was, there's no seminary class on this. Like there's no training for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I've never dealt with this kind of crisis before. Like my dad taught me as a kid, he would say naivety is evil. It's harmful. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dad, take a chill pill. You know, like I'm from a homeschool family. Like, Hey, we're, we like to be hyped up about a lot of things. Uh, boycott everything. Uh, you know, like that, like, you know, calm down. And he was like, no, Daniel, listen, naivety is evil. And going through the RZM situation, like the, not knowing the reality, not knowing the dynamics of abuse and power and sexual statistics, like abuse statistics and all that is no alibi. Like these guys in leadership, these men and women in leadership in churches or ministries or companies, like as soon as you're managing people, you're managing people who are Mm -hmm. at risk. Like if if someone has more than three women on their team, they're likely responsible for survivors of sexual abuse. Yeah. So go get, get informed, everybody. Uh, That's kind of Mm -hmm. random. I hope it made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm tracking with you. And I have maybe one or two questions here, and then we'll go to a little bit of um, live questions here to finish things out. Um, but how do we help, like, the help? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with William Lane Craig's debate with Paul Draper on the existence of God. Um, but one of the arguments that Paul Draper, who's an agnostic, gives against, um, like, theism is the idea of, like, the moral me- meager fruits of Christianity, where he says, like, people that will say they're Christians, um, and they're supposedly like following the true, perfect, all-loving God. Um, they turn out to just be like everyone else, and they have all these um, um, ad- inadequate or just like just average moral fruits. Or in the case of Ravi, people who claim to be Christians but do these horrific, damaging things. Um, this counts as just evidence against God. And, and like, if people, if these, if this Christianity stuff really had some legs to it, these people would actually be doing great things. Um, but instead, we see people like Ravi who just fail and fall short. So this religion must be false. Um, so kind of trying to sum up an objection here to like Christianity from like a situation like Ravi's, but how would you respond to something along these lines? Yeah. I mean, the, if the Christian message was like, Christians are, are like, are, are the best, like Christians are heroes, then mm-hmm. I think that argument would hold a lot of water, but like the, the Christian worldview is and message is just the opposite it's like mm-hmm. every one of us has a profound capacity for harm toxicity and deception deception that we peddle to others and deception we even peddle to ourselves mm-hmm. and so when 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 one looks at a situation like ravi like it should not be surprising heartbreaking but not surprising to anybody mm-hmm. familiar the, the scriptures. Joe Vitelli has an incredible quote where she talks about if you look at the um, the just gross stories of the Bible, one of the reasons that they exist is to show us that God will not participate in a religious cover up. 
Mm. That God is very honest about the depravity and brokenness and human capacity for evil. In fact, that's the reason Jesus decided to, that he'd enter into the brokenness of the world is because he's so honest about our brokenness and yet sees uh, and yet loves us nonetheless in that his death not only washes away or makes it possible to wash away all the, the shame and the, the, the wrong that every one of us has done, but also washes away heals the brokenness that is done by that harm that as humans harm each other isaiah 53 ancient prophecy that G, um, about the messiah jesus says by his stripes we are healed and so in that i see that the blood of jesus like yeah addresses the harm we cause others and the harm that others have caused us and so yeah i just when when we see a situation like ravi's i think the yeah the, the bible both anticipates it but also provides an honest solution to it and i don't know that i don't know that atheism or a lot of other worldviews do either anticipating mm -hmm. uh depth of our depravity provide a solution to the the fullness of it mm -hmm. yeah one interesting um kind of like side here i don't know if it's really a response to the argument i presented but it's just kind of like um what like if, if atheism is true ravi really got away with what he did like it's kind of the end like he dies and that's it um, whereas like if we hold to Christianity being true, there's actually a judgment. And while he may have got away with it in this life, um, he's not going into the next. Yeah. So, uh, and on that, can I say another, like, um, yeah, feel free. Go ahead. Me and my colleagues, we had, uh, some of us got together with Diane Langberg on, on zoom and just, uh, asked for advice about stuff, how we can be more victim centered and stuff like that. And Dr. Diane Langberg. So my, my colleague, my, my beloved friend was like, yo, since all the allegations came to light, I'm just having so much trouble trusting people, especially leaders. Mm -hmm. I think I've become cynical. And Dr. Delang Dr. Diane Langberg goes, not nearly cynical enough. And she goes, what? She's like, you should be more cynical. Think about Jesus. He said, uh, there's a line that says in the Bible, um, but Jesus did not entrust himself to anyone because he knew knows what is in man. And, and then like, Jesus is even more hard on the, the human capacity for wickedness and deception than even the most jaded of us in one sense. And yet still, he yearns for our redemption and makes it possible. So, yeah, I just, the, the Bible, seeing, seeing an example like Ravi, in no way discredits the, the narrative of the Bible. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it's really tough when you see hypocrites that always try to go back to, well, Christianity's truth doesn't really depend on does some person do something. It's just, it, did Jesus rise from the dead? Um, yeah. But a question I have for you, Daniel, to kind of wrap things up, and then we'll go to some of these live questions here. Um, if you're still listening, you have more, feel free to add. We'll try to get through as many as we can. Um, but where do we go from here? Um, it's hard because it's from person to person. We're all in different circumstances with different connections um, to the RZIM and just like these things in general. But like from your perspective, where do we go from here? We're a few, uh, like a month from like when the report was released, and it was September when. Um, the allocations really came out a lot harder than they had in the past. Like, where do we go from here? Uh, define we. Uh, we're, we're... <laughs> yeah, it's the issue I was thinking about um, as I was thinking about this question, but it's Christians, maybe. Just like, what can Christians learn from this? Like, the pastor, the person in the church, or just like, you know, it's so broad because they said we. Um, but like, how does Christians, do we move forward from this yeah. handle? Yeah, yeah, there's a few directions people might want to go in. One is... Mm -hmm. 
uh, with the death of Ravi, and then even more so the like the finding out the fraudulence of Ravi, I think mm -hmm. can make a lot of us want to find the next, the next Ravi, the next, but like in, in what we thought Ravi was. It makes us mm -hmm. hungry to find a new. Yeah. And I find myself like I, I was uh, as I was trying to process this stuff in October, November. Uh, I started reading a bunch of Paul David Tripp's books. They're so good about, he has a book, Dangerous Calling and Lead and, and a bunch of other suffering and just these wonderful books, Sex and Money. And I just like, and he's addressing so much of, of the, the reality of the, of the stuff that Ravi um, did and, and then ways that any of us can be like that, if, even if in a more limited capacity and then uh, how we can do things differently. And I was just like loving, I felt like I was so safe in his books and like they were so helpful. And I just started just hyping him up so hard uh, to my wife, Alexandra. And she's just like, Daniel, like, Daniel, you said that like the putting rag on a pedestal is a huge problem and you're just doing it again. Tim Keller mm -hmm. said the human heart is an idol factory. And I see mm -hmm. that so much in me. Like I love rate, like just having heroes. And then, so I think that where we can go from here is to make a fresh, like, like the next person to throw up on a pedestal and it's just going to be harmful for them and harmful for us. So we need to not do that. Uh, there's a lot of headlines um, these days about celebrity culture at Hillsong and sex scandal there and celebrity mm -hmm. culture at RZM. And, um, yeah, there's just a lot of that stuff. We need to, I think we need to recapture a Christianity that is much less about spotlights and, and celebrities and so much more about doing life together, having real friendships and because of our belovedness in Jesus that we can be so real and so vulnerable with each other. You know, like, I think, I think we need more of that. Um, so where we go from here, I think all of us, one, I think all of us need to take this moment to go and, and make sure every one of us is educated on um, the reality and and of sexual abuse. Every one of us should go and do the research on how to how do we respond well to disclosure. Every one of us should go and do research on how to spot signs of abuse. And the many of us who are survivors of sexual abuse, um, should, I hope, will hear in all of this that they are not alone, and that there's so many others within the church and in the world who have experienced similar things and take comfort in. Uh, seeing the way that someone like Lorianne Thompson has managed to um, find so much healing and freedom and therefore follow that same path to, to reach out for help. Uh, I think where we go from here is that we learn uh, to do friendship better. I think that where we go from here is to try to prioritize wholesomeness and discipleship and character over reputation and following and social media um, stuff. Yeah, that's great. Um, what we'll do now is we'll go to a little bit of questions. Um, you have a chance to destroy Daniel because he said that nothing's off limits. Um, but a question from Julian, which says, um, for someone who's capable of gaining a large following, is there also a greater capacity to compartmentalize? Um, you also talked about like a speaking to a large crowd frequently a detriment to a person's character. Um, so what are your thoughts here, Daniel, with regards to like, like Ravi, you had such just a massive platform, like talking at like um, the Mormon church or whatever it's called and just like speaking to these giant crowds. Like, what do you think about that and the character? And yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think that um, speaking to a large crowd is an incredibly lonely thing. Um, having a big following is, is lonely. People end up feeling like they know you. Uh, often 
many good speakers will pour a lot of their own per, their own stories and be vulnerable in that sense to the audience. And so people it, it ends up creating a disproportional like ratio of, of knowledge. So if you had a friend and you just poured your heart out to them and in normal friendship, someone reciprocates and, and gets vulnerable as well. If you confess shadow in your life, often your friend will say, hey, uh, here's a way that I also relate. Uh, when, when you're a speaker, you'll, you'll pour your heart out and the people might applaud and it might be a buzz for a moment, but it's an incredibly lonely thing. And uh, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of uh, vulnerability in, in the worst sense of the word in, in speaking to a large crowd, um, just isolated. Um, you're, when, 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 as an itinerant and you travel a lot, again, people feel like they know you because they, they maybe read your books and hear your voice and all that stuff, but they're strangers to you. And so, uh, yeah, I think it just makes it easier to, how do I say, among my friends, among Alonzo and Alexandra, like these are my, my wife and my, my best friend, like they always know how I'm really doing. And I might lie to myself. I'm, I'm a number seven on the Instagram. Like I love to be happy and spontaneous. And, and they're just like, Daniel, like you're not doing okay. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. Damn it, you look exhausted. Uh, no, no, I'm fine. And I just can't fool them even though I can fool myself. Hmm. I can fool strangers some of the time. Um, so that's to say someone who's been in large crowds and traveling, um, it's just so much easier to, to wear masks and to, um, yeah, to compartmentalize. Mm, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, a question here from Greg, which says, um, thanks for your story. Truth is so important. Um, how are the folks at RZIM handling this? How are they dealing with the truth of what was preached versus the live man? This is a common theme that's kind of come up here. Um, what are your thoughts, Daniel? Yeah. Thanks, Elizabeth. Oh, Greg, rather. Uh, <laughs> So I want to acknowledge, I, I, I was with RZAM for such a brief time that as devastating as it has all been, and it's been shattering for me, I, I believe it's probably a lot less horrific and nightmarish, as bad as it is, than it is for so many of my colleagues and friends. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, I, don't think, I, I don't think I understand how painful it is uh, for a lot of my friends who are still there. And for some of them who haven't, yet accepted that this is even true. Um, yeah. Um, I, I am concerned that uh, the board at RZM, I, I, when you say how is folks at RZM, the board is still anonymous. Um, they gave a beautiful apology, except for their names. And then there's a lot of expectation on Lorianne to accept their apology. Never in my life have I heard of an apology that's anonymous, a meaningful apology that's anonymous. You, you can't you can't look into the face of the person forgiving you and forgive them. You can't say, I forgive you. You don't know who you is. And so I think there's still a ton of, uh, a, a, a ton of emptiness still in RZM's response. Uh, they, I, I have friends who are still on staff there who were whistleblowers about this, who provided a ton of the evidence about what happened? They're, they're they're part of the reason we know the truth. Uh, I, um, the, you can tell how sincere uh, organization is about repentance on how they treat whistleblowers, and I know of yeah at least one of well, the most, if not the most significant whistleblower at RZM, is currently being um, ostracized, like hugely, um, administratively ostracized. Uh, that is all quite discouraging to me and upsetting. And at the same time, I do wanna be 
yeah, I don't want to be gracious to understand that like it's it is a lot more painful uh, for the, for the folks at RZM to make decisions um, that are that are healthy decisions when uh, they're experiencing a loss so much more painful than what I experienced. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you, Daniel, um, just like seeing like your, your post and such, you're very, you're speaking out for these people um, and trying like with like the board and such really trying to like bring truth out there for people like Lorianne and others who are so hurt by this. So I appreciate you, you trying to um, get to the bottom of this journey that's obviously not over yet. Yeah. I mean, Carson, uh, Max, myself, um, we've all been really clear that like, as we speak about this stuff, um, like we're speaking as all guys who have been part of the problem we would love to be noble heroic guys uh but we're so far from that because yeah. like we've all yeah we've also been part of the problem at rzm um that our speaking up is is honestly like the least we could do and so mm -hmm. uh, we're all on a journey to try to become more noble more wholesome um but the stuff that we're tweeting or speaking up about is is honestly minuscule yeah mm -hmm. Um, a few more questions here, Daniel. Uh, one from Jared, uh, which says, um, in your opinion, how did this go on for so long without those who knew Robbie best not questioning um, him? Um, there were some very obvious red flags. Yeah. Um, so and I, Jared, I agree with you. There was huge red flags. Um, uh, uh, again, a top, top person in the Canadian team took me aside uh, in November, October, and just pulled me aside. I said, Daniel, I, like, I know that you seem to think that this stuff is true, but whenever there's been abuse, there's always red flags and there's no red flags. And that's just categorically false. Uh, mm -hmm. Long before the September 29th, Daniel Solomon article, there was, uh, there's emails that aren't disputed. Like that we all know that they're Ravi's emails where he was telling Lori Ann Thompson not to disclose to her husband and that he might commit suicide if he does, if she does and all this kind of stuff. As, as soon as a, a person in a pastoral or apologetic ministry is telling a woman not to be honest with her husband, like that's a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. And uh, like there, there was huge red flags about Ravi. Um, so they were ignored. You're right, Jared. How did it go on so long? Well, in, in 2008, that is 12 years before 2020 when the art piece came out. In 2008, a very senior person at RZM Asia Pacific brought forward allegations about sexual misconduct about Ravi. Um, and he brought it again in 2012. Uh, he, instead of opening up an investigation to look into Ravi, an investigation was opened up into whether or not he was spreading rumors and dissension at RZM. And shortly after that, he was gone from the team. Uh, I know that, uh, and the report mentions this in veiled details. Um, as someone who was on staff, I, I know a few of the more particular details about. Um, it mentions how a very senior person at RZAM uh, had confronted Ravi about some stuff back in like more than 10 years before uh, his death. And that gentleman ended up being ostracized by Ravi. Mm. Uh, I will say that that person stayed on the team, continued to be one of Ravi's biggest cheerleaders, fell into line and didn't bring it up again over the years. And eventually went on to have a ton of, of influence and uh, yeah, a ton of influence on the team. It, it crushes me to think about what could have happened if that individual, instead of being one of the most significant and influential people in the flowchart at RZM, if they would have stood their ground, the person that, yeah, I have to be, yeah, it's not all my story to share, but yeah, it would have made a huge difference and tons of women would not have been harmed. Mm -hmm. So ultimately this gets back to a universal thing, like not just an RZM problem, but 
But as I'm trying to understand this issue in the church in North America, what I'm discovering is there's a, a huge pattern that when it's a leader, a pastor, our favorite author or speaker who has done the abuse, we circle the wagons around them instead of circling the wagons around the victims. Mm. That the church has become way too often a vehicle for abuse instead of a haven for the abused. Just the other week, I got a call from some Canadian politicians. There is a, a gentleman who, who wants to throw his hat in the ring and run for office. And there is a concern about his conduct in the past regarding uh, sexual abuse. And yeah, I just, I had, I was on, I was, I was chatting with a second member of parliament who was talking about this and he was asking like, Daniel, in light of the RZM situation, do you have any advice for us on all the hoops this gentleman has to jump through in order to uh, be able to earn trust and be able to receive our endorsement? Mm -hmm. I just said, hey, like to the, this is a sweet friend of mine. I just said, hey, listen, this is the second hour, like the second MP who's talking to me about how this person can earn trust. How come neither mm -hmm. of you have had even one question about how we can care for the young girl that was abused in this situation. Mm -hmm. Like our focus immediately, and like I appreciate that these guys are going like, what, what steps does this guy have to do to become a wholesome person? And how can he own his mistakes? And how can he, you know, like all this kind of stuff, like great, cool, that we're like so wanting people to, to learn, but like how come it's all about the guy, the yeah. leader, the future member of parliament, instead of the person that was crushed? I mean, do that in the church uh, far too often. So sorry, I'm rambling. I'm so sorry. No, um, you're all good, Daniel. So long, it's an important question. I think part of it is it goes back to how um, Jared. I think part of it goes back to um, when. Why did I believe Ravi's narrative when there was holes in it? Is because I wanted to. Like I didn't want to. I didn't want another one of my heroes to turn out to be a fraud. And so I I willed myself to believe his narrative instead of taking the time to search out what the person who brought forward the allegations thought. Um, once I did hear her perspective, his narrative unraveled so quickly. Hmm. Um, Leonardo had a comment here that I'm curious your thoughts on, which is, um, Robbie's like every other man, he had a sin and his shortcomings. One thing to learn from Robbie is that what Jesus says, um, not everyone that calls me will get to heaven. Um, and despite Robbie's flaws, it doesn't make what he preaches false. So how do you balance this where we have this yeah. um, sexual predator, but then also someone who preached the gospel? Yeah, well, Leonardo, there's one part that I just want to like, I, I respect you. I, I appreciate your question. I, I, I take profound issue with, with the first part of what you said, uh, that he is like every other man, he has sin and shortcomings. Uh, Leonardo, I find people talking about what Ravi did, like as if it's, yeah, like, like, there were, there's a lot of comments, like 500 likes in RZAM's post about um, the report saying, yeah, we're, like, we have to no, let no one throw a stone. We're all like Ravi. We all struggle with sin. Um, this is not a matter simply of sin. This is not a matter simply of lust. This is a matter a matter of criminal, predatory, sexual abuse, assault, and rape. And we need to be careful that we don't conflate uh, a struggle with lust with predatory behavior. Mm -hmm. A struggle with lust is serious. We need to deal with that. We should not be objectifying anybody. It makes the world less safe. It's sinful. We need to look to God for forgiveness. We need to reach out for help to deal with it. I've had a lot of guys and, and some girls come forward and disclose, um, yeah, lustful behaviors and thought patterns. And I've been able to direct them toward professional help to deal with it. But one time I had uh, someone come forward after I preached and disclose that he had sexually abused a child. I didn't treat it like I just normally would treat like a, a porn addiction. I, I 
helped him. I walked with him to the police station and he went to jail. That's how we're to treat sexual predators. That's how we're to treat that. And we just, we have to refuse to conflate the two. Everyone struggles with lust, guys and girls, but not everybody, not everybody sexually abuses people. And we should make sure it's uh, as few people do as possible. Mm -hmm. um, probably the last part. Um, does that make, does it make what he preaches false? Yes, but still, uh, here's what I'd say. You're right. Just because, just because, yeah, um, it's a logical fallacy to say because someone themselves is corrupt that with a message that they use. If, if someone embraces a good message as a vehicle to, 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 to deceive people, like it, it makes them a bad person, not their message. Uh, at the same time, like if Ravi had written an excellent math textbook, I probably would be less quick to throw it away because like those principles, the, the mathematics, like it is what it is and uh, whatever. But the fact that Ravi's message, like one of his most famous messages that is in like everything he, so much of what he did is this. Um, if, e like if, if, if the violation of a human being is really evil, like if the category of evil is real, then so there must be a category of good. If good and evil are real categories, there must be a moral, a moral law that differentiates the two. If there's a moral law, there must be a moral law giver. Therefore, there must be this, this being outside of like of matter. There must be a God. Okay. Like that's and that's woven through all the stuff. It, it's this, this argument for God from the, the sacredness of human life. Well, the fact that he himself was violating human beings, the dignity of human beings and the sacredness of life. I, it, it just, it makes his own words on it so hollow. And there's others who say the same thing. We, we should, we should sell the, their books instead and we should delete his content. It's so good. And I'm so glad that RZIM is deleting all of Ravi's content. Um, it's a start. Um, Julian, probably our last question says, what would you suggest to exist in the recovery for someone who confesses to sexual abuse? You're just talking about this. Um, but do you have any kind of like other thoughts on this question? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Julian, thanks for the question. Um, yeah, it's maybe the most important question. I think that we can too much focus on how not to be a Ravi instead of thinking about like, how can we um, care for those who have been victims like Ravi's victims. And mm -hmm. so it's a beautiful question. Um, I, I think that my, like my quickest answer would be that I would encourage people who have, um, Oh wait, would you search for, for someone who confesses to sexual abuse? So we're sorry, not talking about victims, we're talking about someone. Yeah. Who, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. uh, different. Uh, okay. For what I was going to say though, for anyone who discloses that they've been abused, I encourage them to reach out for professional help. We make a mistake when people ordained like myself think that because we have some seminary training and we're ordained that we're pastors or whatever, that we can just handle it ourselves. Um, if you, yeah, like if you had a broken arm, you wouldn't go to your friend who uh, watched a YouTube do it yourself video, like you would go to professionals. And where there's been sexual trauma, assault and abuse, often it's actually more we're, we're, we can be more profoundly harmed than just a broken arm like it's, it's more intricate to help repair us where our mind and our heart and our like our, our, our being has felt so violated and so i just encourage people to reach out for professional help uh people who are trained at restoring um but the question is how do we help someone who has confessed sexual abuse um first uh can i answer uh, the, the question before that question in a sense, which is- Do whatever you want, yeah. How can we create contexts where people will confess 
sexual mm. abuse. Uh, and, and, and the experience that I've had where this has happened, uh, I was preaching on Colossians chapter three, where Paul talks about putting sin to death. And so in that sermon, I was being very serious, like Paul is, about how serious it is for us to have to put our sins to death. That, our, that, that everything the Bible calls sin is never only like harming ourselves, it's always harming someone else as well. And we, and we need to take that very seriously and, and be like the, the word Paul uses to put sin to death is, is aggressive, ongoing, violent language. We have to be so intentional about addressing and turning from the toxic behaviors in our lives. So I was talking about that in that same passage, that same part of the letter from Paul in Colossians 3. He says, as God's holy and beloved, and continues. Mm -hmm. And this is to the very people who he's saying, put your sin to death. And so in that sermon, I was saying, guys, listen, like you might find yourself doing things that you promised yourself you would never do, that you, you never even conceived of yourself as ever being possible. And, and yet you don't even recognize yourself anymore because of the horrific stuff you've done. Know that in Christ, you are holy and beloved. Holy, it means set apart for noble use. Like every one of us was called and created for noble purpose. And, and beloved, it's more than just love. It means liked, delighted in that you are so special to God. He loves you. Even before you've had a chance to put down Colossians 3, put down the letter and, and get to work putting sin to death. And so it was at the end of that message that this man came up to me and, and disclosed to me what he had done. And, 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 he, and he shared with me how it was, as he realized, like, I have to be serious about the horrific stuff I've done. Mm -hmm. And I think this guy welcomes me. Like, I think he sees me as valuable. So he came up to me and he disclosed that he had sexually abused a little boy with severe disabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, I apologize to anyone who this is like profoundly disturbing and triggering for. Yeah, he, he confessed to me. He said, what do I need to know? And uh, this isn't, this, not everyone would be in a place to do this, but um, I just, I hugged him and I held him. It, it, and, I, and I said, you are holy and beloved and you need to go to jail. And we, we, I said, like, yeah, I talked with him about how people who sexually abuse people in almost every single case will go on to sexually abuse other people. Um, and I said, hey, like, you need to make sure for all the other people you might harm, that you don't harm them. You need to get professional help. You need to disclose what you've done. God is a God of love. He's a God of justice. That means this kid is only going to get like, help and a sense of closure. If, 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 if you come forward and justice is served, you need to go to jail. Um, at the court, um, when the trial happened a year later, uh, and he was sentenced to jail, the judge actually said this person would never have been caught uh, had he not come forward when asked why he did such a thing, and then just started sharing the gospel through his words that the defense said um, and talked about the gospel and Jesus, and all, all this stuff. Um, that's all to say. When we come forward with whatever our toxic behaviors are, sexual abuse, anger problems, criminal stuff, just sinful stuff, whenever we come forward and disclose, it's a, that's part of our noble purpose because it, it helps us become more healthy and safeguards others and provides a sense of justice for people we've hurt. Like it's a noble thing. And every one of us is created for this noble purpose. We're created to be light in the darkness, to borrow John's words about Jesus. So I want to encourage everyone, including myself, with what, wherever our shadows are, wherever our sin is and criminal behavior, if we have criminal behavior, we need to come forward like this young man.
Um, yeah, so I think that as human beings, and I'm trying to learn, I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm, I've been pretty harsh with my Twitter uh, talking about the, the RZM matters and, and, and this, but I, I want to be, I want all of us to be in our speaking up about, about these things, to be speaking about it in a way that takes the matter seriously, is not being light about the criminal behavior, but at the same time is creating um, an environment that, that welcomes those who've abused, um, those who've harmed. Um, mm. Yeah, so I hope that helps answer your question, Julian. Yeah. Sorry for being so rambly. No, you're good because these are such like deep questions. So it's hard to like just kind of like say like a one minute bit and be done with it. Um, do you have time for one more question, Daniel? Sure. Awesome. A question from Swift C, which says, um, can someone like what Ravi did still be redeemed by Christ? For, for sure. Uh, uh, an example I think of is um, another like someone who does just horrific, harmful behavior, violating human beings is john um john newton uh he uh was a slave driver uh he did a, uh, he was a slave trader uh, not a slave driver he was a slave trader he was a horrific human being mm -hmm. um he confessed he came clean and he went on to become one of england's and the world's greatest advocates against the slave trade super helpful to the cause of uh abolishing the slave trade uh and wrote the song amazing grace which is uh, part of his own confession um, it's definitely possible uh, that anyone can be redeemed um, at the same time. Uh, like David also did horrible things, but Ravi is not like David. Uh, David, when he was confronted with his criminal behavior, confessed it, brought it into the light, and accepted the penalty and the punishment for what he did. And there was beautiful redemption in that and restoration. Saul was a man like David, like Ravi, did terrible things. Um, maybe less terrible than David, actually. But but Saul refused when he was confronted. He refused to to bring to, to really be honest. He tried to deflate, deflect it, and um, all that. And God canceled Saul. And there's there's no redemption in Saul's story, really. Uh, if 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 Ravi repented, if he confessed, then then he is more like David. But as far as we know, he refused to, and he harmed women in 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. Uh, it took it to his death. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of, yeah, we need to, someone once said um, regarding the two criminals that were uh, crucified beside Jesus, um, where like one had done, both had done criminal behavior and one of them gets redeemed and one of them does not. Uh, and someone said, um, one criminal, like one criminal was redeemed that none might despair, but only one criminal was redeemed that none might presume. And we need to take very serious. It's a scary thing to disclose our sin, our shadow, our, our toxicity and our criminal behavior, but we need to if we desire redemption. Uh, uh, just one last on this, if I may preach for a second. Uh, Saul, um, when he's confronted by a friend, um, his response, he's confronted by Samuel and he says, Samuel, like, come with me. Like, don't, don't, don't leave me, basically. Uh, in Samuel, he found validation for his call, his kingship. Uh, David, when he's confronted with his sin uh, and his criminal behavior, writes Psalm 51, a confession where he says in it, like, God, don't take your presence from me. Don't take your spirit from me. Look at what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't take my call from me. Don't take my reputation from me. He's kind of saying, like, you can have it. You can take away my crown. You can take away my throne. You can take away my kingship. Take my reputation. Here's who I really am. I've, I've done all this. I've, like, he wrote that confession for the choir to sing. He was bringing it all into the light. 
And this is challenging to me because we need to be people who are not in love with our call, not in love with our job, but that we're in love with the one who called us, with Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, when I don't feel like bringing my shadow, my sin, my stuff into the light, that compels me to, I want to be like David. I don't want to be like Saul. I want to be like David. I don't want to be like Ravi. I, I want to be cultivating a love for Jesus that compels me into the light. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your time and for reaching out. I'm so glad that we had this conversation and hopefully it helps someone out there um, listening. Um, do you have any kind of like last thoughts or things you want to share that you can get off your chest um, before we start to wrap things up? Oh, I got a lot off my chest. Thanks, Zach. Uh, Zach, thank you so much. You've introduced me to so many apologists through your March Madness tournament. And, uh, yeah, thanks for even including me in it. Uh, I was mm-hmm. surprised when you did because I'm just a, a young buck. But uh, yeah, those those other names broadening the broadening the scope of of the guys that I'm reading and learning from, and, and girls that I'm learning and reading from, uh, I didn't realize would be instrumental to my being able to find the helps that I needed in light of all the Ravi situations. So you've ministered to me through your own ministry uh, through Twitter, and I'm just so grateful to get to meet you in person tonight. And more or less in person, um, virtual. You're stuck over there in Canada. I'm stuck in Virginia. But I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that it helped you a little bit. And it amazed me with just how many men and women there are faithfully serving Christ all over the world. Um, so, Daniel, thank you so much for your time. Um, and I thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you want to follow Daniel, uh, there's a link down below. Um, and just thank you, everyone, who tuned in. Um, and have a good one. And God bless. Thank you, everyone. Take care.